everybody, and good morning. As Cindy mentioned today, we're continuing this mini-series we're in. As we go through the book of Luke, we're now in chapter 5, and this mini-series we're calling The Art of Neighboring, as we see Jesus calls us to this outward-focused ministry. The premise behind this series is it's real easy for groups of people over time, organizations, churches included, to increasingly become focused on inward needs. Now, as a church, we're committed to meeting needs in this community, serving one another, taking care of each other, but we want to fight to remain outward focused, thinking about those outside these walls or thinking about those who are outside the family as they come into these walls for the first time, to be thinking about those around us constantly trying to fight to be and remain outward focused. And all the more this is important right now, you know, as we come out of this pandemic, God willing, uh, we need to be thinking about these things because right now it'll be easy, if anything, as a church to click up or just to catch up with those that we know or maybe just to get by or maybe just to focus on our own thing going for us as individuals or as a family. But what we see in chapter 5 of Luke as uh, Jesus begins to call his disciples and give them their, their mission, he gives them, he gives us this mission to be, quote, fishers of people. If you weren't here last week as we started that series, I encourage you to uh, have a listen, go, go online and find that. Uh, Jesus there shows us what this mission is all about, and he models it for us in that text, the first part of chapter 5. Well, as we move into further into the chapter, we see now another beautiful example of these four men, four friends who are outward focused with their own buddy, this paralyzed guy who they just went to whatever length they could to help love, care, and, and serve him. And so they serve as an example for us as we continue to think about this outward-focused life, how we ought to be thinking about our friends, how we ought to be thinking to serve and care for our neighbors and coworkers. So let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much that we have your word here, your text, to teach us, to show us how uh, the lives that you call us into. But Father, even as we you know, make that sort of prayer, we recognize that we need your help in this. If we're to be outward focused, if we're to look to the needs of those that you have placed in our lives, we, we need your help. And of course, that's, that's what you're all about. And so, Father, would you help us join you in that work? And as we look to this text, would you, would you teach it to us through your, through your spirit? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, these four men, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to use the, the, the number four to describe them, because while Luke doesn't tell us there was four of them, Mark in his uh, parallel account tells us that there was four. These four men were determined to get their paralyzed buddy to Jesus. They had no doubt heard the reputation that Jesus was this healer, and they figured he was coming through town. Maybe this is our chance with our buddy to do something for him, to get him healed. And so they you know, picked him up, placed him on a rug, and began to lug him in the direction of they, where they thought Jesus to be. Uh, my buddy and I, back in college, uh, moved a ton of friends. Uh, we were local boys, and there at Cal, UC Berkeley, uh, the vast majority of students stay in dorms or on campus the first year, some maybe the second semester, uh, second year, but really by years three, four, and five at Cal, uh, everybody's living off campus, right? And, and then do the rent laws and all that sort of thing, everybody's moving every season. And so we did, I mean, no joke, we must have moved, you know, several dozen friends over, over the years. Uh, and they paid us by pizza. So that was awesome to me back then. So I was, I was all about that. But I just remember, it was really hard. Uh, you know, we just, whether it was just some massive piece of furniture that we're like, all right, how are we going to move this thing? Or it was just like some 
crazy like stairwell that we had to play Tetris through or a combination of both. Like every time we would look at what we were getting ready to do and, and you know, hit, hitting it, we would just be like, I, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> but ready, go. <laughs> There's pizza on the line. These guys, I don't care how strong they were and how light their buddy may have been, it would have been really hard to lug their buddy however far they took him. Uh, they probably took some ropes and fastened them to the edges of the carpet or a rug as they, as they pulled them. But Luke doesn't tell us how far they actually took them. At minimum, it was probably several hundred yards, so several lengths of a football field. At minimum, more likely it was much further than that. But these guys were committed. They were determined to get their buddy and, and, and help him. And yet, once they did get there, it was standing room only around Jesus. Jesus was there at this house, teaching the crowds, and by this point, even by chapter 5 of Luke's account, everybody was out to listen to Jesus. Everybody wanted to hear him and hear his teachings, and Luke, for the first time in his account, mentions that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there as well. That's to say these religious leaders were there, you know, giving Jesus the sniff test, wanting to pass judgment on what he was teaching and all of that, which meant people were coming. There weren't just religious leaders in one spot. They were all over. So everybody was coming. It was standing room only. And could you imagine being one of these four guys who had just lugged their friend to, where they, to the outside of this meeting hall only to see it was standing room only and how it was basically impossible to get their buddy to Jesus? Uh, this is the first way that they model for us in terms of this outward-focused life. We see that they found a way when there was no way. Uh, I've read this text any number of times uh, since, being a, since a little guy, but this is the first time this phrase really stood out to me. Look at verse 19. It says, when they could not find a way to Jesus, because of the crowd, they, and we can pause for a moment there, they didn't give up. They didn't say, well, it's just not possible. That was a, it was a good effort. When they couldn't find a way, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. These guys were not only committed and determined, they were also out-of-the-box thinkers. The way homes were arranged back then is some of them had a staircase up to the roof. Most of them had ladders up to the roof so reparations can, can be made and all that rest of it. So these guys were like, all right, well, we could do that. Figured out somehow to get that guy up on the roof and then get this mid-sermon. They, they lower, not drop, they lower this guy and place him right in front of Jesus. There's probably some like little you know, dust particles coming out, and then this little guy in his head, four buddies, heads poked through, and then this guy, mid-sermon, lowered down, placed right in front of Jesus. Uh, you just think about what must they have been feeling in that moment, okay? We've already talked about the physical cost. Think about, like, emotionally what they were doing for this guy. I test pretty high uh, extroverted, but I imagine myself being one of these four guys with all eyes on me after having, like, you know, basically destroyed this roof interrupted a, a, a sermon to lower a buddy. It's like, could you imagine what that must have been like? But these guys were committed. Uh, you talk about the physical cost, you talk about the social cost, there's probably financial cost involved. In Mark's account, he really kind of highlights the fact that they were tearing through some stuff to get this guy down. I mean, there, there's probably property damage in some way. They were determined, they were committed. When they could find no way, they found away. And friends, this is what we're called to uh, as followers of Jesus, to find a way. 
Cindy, when she was in high school, put her faith in Jesus, found Jesus, put her faith in through, through a youth group. And from that time on, she wanted nothing more than for her family to come to know Jesus, for them to put their faith in Jesus. And so being an older sister, that started with dragging her younger brother to youth group. That was her way of bringing him along. And, and he found Jesus, put his faith in Jesus. And then she started talking to her parents and, and you know, just trying to engage them. And, and at least initially, they're a little bit more hands-off. So she would just try just different things. Hey, you should go to this event. You should listen to this. You should read this book. And eventually, at some point, uh, her dad kind of put the kibosh on it and said, Hey, Cindy, there are two things that I don't talk about with family, politics and religion. And Cindy was pretty crushed at that. But she was just determined, okay, if that's not the way it's going to work, she didn't want to just press through and just carry on the way that she had been out of honor for that wish. And, and by the way, not thinking it would help uh, to begin with anyways. And so she, she wasn't like giving them books or anything like that. She just figured out other ways more subtly, but yet still intentionally just trying to bring Jesus back up, share her faith. And uh, what happened over time is she, would, she dedicated herself to things like you know, letting them know why she had made a decision in life the way she did, like how God was the impetus for that and how he played a role in helping her think, that's, that's what I want to do. That's why I want to do it. And she renewed her efforts to, to pray for her parents. In, in fact, even as I was asking her if I could share the story and going through it with her, she said, that's the main thing I really did is I really just determined to pray. I asked all my friends to, to pray for my parents. Well, I don't have time to go through the whole story, but it's pretty incredible. She started to see God move in her parents' life just in, in too many ways to list out. In fact, uh, God eventually brought them into the faith, and I remember very affectionately her dad sharing at his baptism all the ways that God had reached him. And just talking about how when he moved for a new job across country, how the first person he met was this church-planting pastor. And then when he got into the neighborhood, the people that came and met him were Christians, and they invited him out to a Bible study. I can't list out all the ways how, her ki how their kids happened to marry these Christians, one, this weird pastor guy, and, and all the rest of it. It's just incredible. And the wonderful story is, they, is he put his faith in Jesus, and what's in, what's, what I, is just mind-boggling to me is after that, with the view of hindsight, he looked back on that, and he, he told Cindy repeatedly Cindy, I'm so thankful that you kept looking for ways to tell me about Jesus even when I basically was asking you not to. Thank you for continuing to find ways to bring up Jesus. We're called, when, when there is no way, find a way. If there's nothing else, pray. These four guys were determined, they were committed to get their friend to Jesus. Last week, we, we talked about the uh, block map as we're doing this Art of Neighbor series if you're on, online, and I, I don't know if we have it up uh, for these guys, but there's basically a three-by-three three, uh, screen with a house in the middle. You could do like a, uh, you know, tic-tac-toe map with the, your, your house in the middle. And you think about all the homes around you. It's just getting a, a thinking about the people in our lives, our neighbors. Uh, my uh, block map looks way different because we're in a complex. It's not the easy three-by-three three grid, but you make it your own. And we want to start with asking this thought of like, who are the names of the people around us? Put our na the names, of, and by the way, not just the people we live around, but the people that we work around in our, in our workstations, like starting with their names. And then the other thing we, we asked last week, if you were here, by the way, we put another three by five card there if you, if you, if you want to uh, do this with us. On the other side, we asked if you feel comfortable, if you feel, feel led, to write the names of three people that you can commit to in this time to be praying for and looking for ways to 
maybe have opportunity to be a light to, for, to Jesus for them. Maybe even bring them out to, to something that, that we're doing. But the question I would ask you, as you're thinking about whether the name you wrote on this card or just somebody in your life, if, this, if you're a Christ follower, and you're trying to put this all together, what this means, are any of them reluctant to hearing about Jesus? I mean, do you, ever, do you look at any of these and just think, in other words, there is no way. Uh, chances are, all of them just about probably feel that way to you. Why? Because we live in the Bay Area. We live in Silicon Valley. A lot of people are reluctant. But you know what it seems to me? It seems like the biggest obstacle for us in terms of bringing our friends to Jesus or at least thinking about these things is not so much the physical cost. It's not so much the emotional cost. It's not so much the, the financial cost and all that. The biggest obstacle, it seems to me, is ourselves and our own lack of thinking it's possible or our own lack of looking for a way when there is no way. But we need to look for a way when there, there isn't a way. There's this guy named uh, Penn Gillette. And you guys know him. He's from uh, the, the magician duo Penn and Teller. I think they have an act out of Las Vegas. Uh, he's known for being an outspoken atheist. In fact, he'll talk about atheism in, in his shows and all that sort of thing. Well, he said in an interview one time, he said, if you're a Christian and you really believe what you believe, you better darn tell me about it, even if I'm fighting you on it. Because to do anything else would be unloving. And he talked about this time when he had done this show and he had shared some things about religion that weren't very, that were quite colorful. And he said at the end of the show, people would come up and get, try to get an autograph or whatever. Or whatever. And there was this one guy who kind of was holding back for a little bit. And after everybody cleared out, he came up to Penn. He said, hey, that was a wonderful show. Here's a Bible. And Penn said in this interview, he's like, that meant the world to me. We're called to look for ways to be outward focused. The people in our lives, how can you be thinking about finding a way when there is no way? Because the, the fact of the matter is there is no way. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, it has to be God who shows up. But can you commit to praying for them and thinking about different ways? We'll, we'll consider, continue to consider this as we go forward. That's the first way these four friends found, uh, modeled outward, uh, this outward mission that Jesus calls us to. So they found a way when there was no way. But number two, we see that they did this all, simply put, to bring their friend before Jesus. That was their whole strategy, just to bring their friend in front of Jesus. That's it, period. Check out verse 18. It says, these men carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat uh, tried to take him into the house, quote, to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. That was the whole strategy, just to get their buddy in front of Jesus. Think of it this way. If the guy hadn't been healed, what were they going to do? It's not like they're going to like, you know, whoop, better bring him back up, right? That was the whole strategy. Everything. <laughs> their whole goal, their whole aim was to bring their friend before Jesus, and that was enough. In fact, it was more than enough. Even as it didn't go the way they anticipated or hoped. Check that out. Did you, did you see that? I mean, here they go through all this effort to try to get their buddy to Jesus. They had heard that he had a reputation to heal. They, they physically lug him. They push past the crowds. They figure out how to get him in front of Jesus. They lower him down. And here's what Luke tells us happens. When Jesus saw their faith, he, he said to this paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine what the four friends were thinking about in that moment, how they were feeling? I could, I, I could just imagine one of the buddies turning to the other three up there on the roof and be like, did he just say your sins are forgiven? 
What had they been hoping for? They had been hoping for him to be healed from his paralysis, of course. Now, wait a minute. We went through all of that for, for this? And yet it was even greater. It's infinitely greater than what, what they hoped for and imagined for their buddy. Jesus said to this man, friend, your sins are forgiven. And everybody was thrown into confusion. The four friends were probably confused at that. They didn't know what to make of that. Probably a little disappointed, probably a little frustrated, maybe even a little angry, confused. The religious leaders heard that and just like, that was their cue to like step into the game. Uh, they understood the implications of what Jesus was saying. They're saying, you're saying your, your sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. And you know what? They were right in that sense. So they were confused. And then the crowd was no doubt confused. They were like, what is going on? We showed up just to hear a preacher today. It was really fun. Middle of the sermon, there's like this dude falling out of the sky through a roof. Figured this guy's probably going to get healed. Jesus has that reputation, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And now these religious leaders are going crazy. What in the world's going on? Everybody was probably confused. Everybody except probably one person. The paralyzed man. As Jesus said these words, friend, your sins are forgiven. Ah. That was Jesus cutting through all the noise, all that was going on around. And not just like the hubbub of everything that was going on, but all, all of his situation, all of his hurts, all of his pain, his experience with his paralysis, all of it. Jesus cutting through all of that and with these life-changing, soul-changing words, friend, your sins are forgiven. And Luke doesn't give us the detail, but I'm, I can't help but think this guy's eyes teared up in that moment probably didn't understand all the implications of his sins being forgiven in that moment, but what little he did understand, let alone this connection he was experiencing with the person of Jesus in front of him, it was enough for him to realize this was something far greater than he ever hoped for or imagined. Jesus had a reputation, even up until this point in Luke 5, all throughout his ministry to heal people. Jesus cares about healing people. He would heal people, heal people, heal people. But his chief aim, even when he healed people, was to what? Luke has told us, proclaim the gospel and proclaim the kingdom of God. He would heal people, but his overarching goal was to heal, the, uh, was to proclaim the good news. And the beautiful implication we get here in Luke chapter 5 is that includes the forgiveness of sins. You know, Jesus would go on to heal this man. And in so doing, he would basically like throw it down with the Pharisees, with these religious leaders, proving to them that he really did, does have the authority to forgive sins. Uh, you heard it read earlier, but basically he says, well, okay then, well, which is it, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and go home. But that you would know the son of man, myself, has the authority to forgive sins. I say to this man, get up, take your mat at home, and he, and he did. But you know what I never noticed, or something that never really occurred to me before kind of studying it this week, is the fact that it seems, the, by the way Luke told the story, Jesus would have been perfectly content had the man never been healed of his paralysis. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Jesus probably would have gone ahead and healed the man eventually, because that's what Jesus did all over the, the gospel accounts. He did that. But... That aside, it seemed like he would have been perfectly content just leaving it at, friend, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus cares about healing. He cares about providing in your life and in mine. But what he cares about infinitely more is his relationship with you. 
is his relationship with you and me based on the forgiveness of sins. And if you're here today and you've never received the good news of Jesus, the good news is he came not only healing, providing, teaching, he came to die on the cross for your sins, to offer you forgiveness and a relationship with him forever that you can receive by saying, I'm in. He wants to today, through the noise, through the lights, through everything else, interactions, cut through all of it and say, friend, your sins are forgiven. So he cares about you. You can receive that today. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity later today if you want to receive him. And then church family, if you're here and you have received him, this is our wonderful task, uh, mission, and opportunity, like these four friends, to bring our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors before Jesus. Uh, that's really all it is, to bring them to him. Regardless of how they respond, if they respond, our part, that, uh, excuse me, their response is not our part, it's, that's Jesus and, and them. He knows what's going on in their lives. And so the question I want to wrestle with here, or, or raise, is how can you bring those in your lives before Jesus? Again, with that three by five card in mind, with the, with the grid, the house, you know, in terms of where we live, and the people God has around us in our neighborhood and, and in our workplace, and in, and in terms of the three names that we've, we're just thinking about and praying about, uh, how can you bring those in your lives before Jesus? Number one, it has to start with prayer. In fact, it seems to me the implication, if we're going to like draw implications of, from these four men and, and they're bringing their friend before Jesus, the biggest implication is not so much going through the physical toil or the emotional or even the finance. It, the biggest one is actually just trusting Jesus, just looking to Jesus. And I, and I think the implication, therefore, then means praying. Saying, okay, God, would you, would you work in the lives? Give me opportunity. Would you, would you move? But number two, it means to bring. You know, the word evangelism has, is, has kind of a scary connotation in the church. It seems to me evangelism literally means to share the good news. It means to share the faith of Jesus with people. And, you know, especially in a place like the Barrier, that can be scary. I, I have a buddy uh, who is right now doing a series called The E-Word. <laughs> a sermon series called The E-Word. It's like, ooh, evangelism. It's like, the thing about evangelism, it's not just about being preachy or articulating the gospel, which, by the way, there are times we need to be bold and, and, and share, but sometimes the great thing we can do in terms of helping people come to know Jesus is by bringing them before him. How could we do that? Well, hopefully you can do that here, bringing people here on, on a Sunday gathering. Look, our whole goal here on Sunday mornings is, number one, first and foremost, to praise God, to say thank you and for who he is and what he's done to start a week by saying, man, Lord, you, you are king, you are first. Number two, it's to build each other up as a church community. We want, we want to help each other become more like Jesus, even as we're all in work in progress in that. But number three, and very importantly, it's to help people who haven't had an opportunity to receive him have a chance to receive him. And the way we do that here at Current is just to try to, as we teach the whole counsel of God, as we cover it all, you know, we just want to do it in accessible terms in a way that you, if you're here, or your friend in your workplace, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you say, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Whether or not, you know, regardless of what you make of it, it's like, okay, I, it's, we're talking here. There's a conversation. There's, we, want, we want to do that. And, and by the way, full disclosure, what I'm trying to do, a chief aim, in fact, probably the chief aim of every sermon, is to try to articulate the gospel. Why? Well, in part because if my friend comes my neighbor comes. I want them, if anything, to hear the gospel that day. So, big ministry we can do is bringing people on a Sunday. 
And there's actually a lot of opportunity to do that coming up here in the next month because we're going to be doing uh, a vision series. We're going to be celebrating our fifth birthday. There's a lot of fun things happening. It's all meant to just kind of be fun, but it's also a great opportunity to bring someone along to baptism Sunday, whatever it might be. The next vision series we're going to be doing is The Future is Bright. The whole idea there is everything seems to get bleaker and bleaker as you read the news and experience life right now, but in Jesus, anything but. The future is bright. It's wonderful in Him. So we hope you think about that. You can bring people out to pub trivia. If you've never been out to a current pub trivia, oh man, it's going to be fun. We just got the, the team locked the outdoor space for us. It's going to be really fun. Talk about a low-hanging, easy invite, right? Uh, we, we're not preachy. It's not a churchy event. We'll share that we're a church and invite people out, but really it's about having fun and helping people who have never experienced church, who might not step into a church, at least right away, experience the community. Jesus said this, by, all, uh, 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 by your love for one another, all people will know that you're my disciples. So we want people to experience that. And maybe from that, they'll come on out and, and be able to hear the gospel. Which, by the way, we hope that you would listen to things like pub trivia, not just through the lens of, oh, I think that would be fun. Maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll not go. That's great. Do that. But think about it also in a sense of, hey, even if I don't want to go, is this something my coworker or neighbor would want to go to and, and bring them along? You can bring people to Alpha. Alpha course, we're getting ready to, God willing, do one again here in September. Alpha is a safe place to ask questions as we watch videos and have discussions about the, the basics, if you will, of Christianity and have just real conversations around that. We very purposely try to make that group be predominantly those who do not follow Jesus, who, who do not attend church, so that that's the culture there. If that's you, you're welcome. We'd love to have you out and and it's just, it's just a fun time. Man, if nothing else, it's also a great, I've made a lot of friends out of that. But Alpha's a great place. You can invite people out. Here's a new one. We might not have the ability to, like, as the friends, you know, parted the, the rooftop and lowered their friends. We might have, not have, like, the, the more straightforward ways to do that in our culture right now with the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we can do that on social media. And social media is something we're, we're trying to start to lean into a little bit more as a church. It's been more of a side burner thing, back burner thing, if you will. But we're, here we are in the Silicon Valley of all places. And as we get more bandwidth, as we have more opportunity, I heard just the other week that a gal heard about us and went to our Instagram page and ultimately put her faith in Jesus. I was like, all right, that's the place we've got to be thinking about. And there's different ways that you can engage there or help us as a church engage. It's not about being like, hey, current's cool. No, we want to use this as a tool to help people who don't know Jesus come to know him. Or people out there come back to him or join a community if they're not a part of one. So you can engage by, you know, reposting or sending, you, you know how it all goes. There's different ways that we can bring, like these, these buddies. Jesus goes on to heal the man of his paralysis. And then we're told in verses 25 and 26, immediately this man stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And here's what it says. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Here's the last thing we see in terms of how these guys were outward focused and what they got to be a part of. We, we see that they got to be a part of something so much bigger than what they could have ever dreamed of or imagined. After the healing... After the interaction with the religious leaders, everybody's in awe, everybody's amazed. The, one of the Greek words here, by the way, is, is essentially our English word, ecstasy. It was just like utter euphoria. People were like going crazy over what they saw. They were absolutely blown away, but they were blown away by this man walking. That wasn't a great miracle. 
that had just taken place. You know, those four guys, I imagine, in that moment, were probably also just going bonkers crazy. This is incredible. Our buddy's walking. But I have to believe that later on, maybe a few years later, I don't know what the time frame, if they had opportunity to hear more about Jesus and they eventually put their faith in him, it all clicked together, that they would look back years later on this event and be like, whoa, there's something even crazier going on that day than this man walking. His sins were forgiven. He started a relationship with Jesus. And we got to be a part of that. Uh, to me, one of the key phrases in this whole text is verse 20. It says, just before he talked to the man, Jesus said, uh, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus noted the faith of the four friends. Now, this is not to say, this is not to say that our faith saves other people. The Bible's clear that we receive salvation, we receive a restored relationship with Jesus when we ourselves individually receive what he's done for us. But this shows that Jesus acknowledged the faith of the four people as they played their part in this. And that is the wonderful thing that God calls us into. I was talking to someone, you know, five minutes before the service today, I was being invited, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, intro introduced to somebody uh, here today, and I was uh, getting to know them. I said, how do you guys know each other? And the person who, whom I know, who's introducing her friend to me, said, oh, this is the gal who took me and helped me find Jesus. And I said, really? And, and, and the gal said, oh, yeah, but no, that was all God. And I said, you just preached the sermon. You literally just preached the sermon. We were laughing about that. She said, well, God is just so good. That's the sermon, too. They're praising God at the end. It's like, she helped bring her friend who was there saying, thank you, Lord, for, this, for using this gal. And this gal was saying, well, it's all God anyways. And we were all just like, this is wonderful. That's what God calls us into. Last week, we were out here, about 20 of us on the patio, uh, doing the welcome lunch. And I was absolutely blown away by the stories that were shared. I won't share details because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I was blown away by a number of folks saying that they not only found the church, but they found Jesus in the process, put their faith in him came back to him, that kind of stuff when you have conversations on the side as well. It's like, what? If there's anything to be, quote, praising God about or, quote, amazed and filled with awe by, it's that. And God's doing that here in the Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area. And that's what God calls you, invites you and me into. And the question is, will you join him? Will you be a part of that to look for a way with friends, family, coworkers, when it seems like there's no way and to look for ways to bring them, simply put, before Jesus. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, his invitation to you right now is, friend, your sins are forgiven. And you can receive that and receive life in him, eternal life, a restored relationship with himself. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never had a chance to do that, to do that now. It's something we do in our hearts with him in relationship, but you can indicate that now by raising your hand. I will see it. I'll pray for you. If you'd like to receive Jesus, you can raise your hand now, and I'll give you an opportunity to pray with you. Father, we just thank you for your goodness in that you pursued us. You pursued us not only in out on the, the, the water, as we talked about last week, there on the bay, as the fishermen did their thing, 
You also pursued us in ways like when we were brought, whether it was to a church service, whether it was to a youth group, whether it was to a pub trivia, whether it was to an Instagram page. You pursued us. You say, friend, your sins are forgiven. So, Father, would you help us as a church live that out? Would you help us be and remain outward focused, thinking about those you've placed around us in the workplace, in our neighborhood, family members in the area, or, or further yet? And, Lord, we just long to see you do your thing, which you're already doing. And it's to you we give all the praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.